Blog Talk Radio. Live from Fort Bragg's backyard, this is the show that put the 110 Nation on the map. There is only one nation, the 110 Nation. And you're listening to the 110 Nation Sports Show. Covering each and every sport across the board. There is no sport too large or too little. It's time to talk to talk. Here we go. Here's the man, the founder, and your host, Mr. CJ Sports. Thank everybody for tuning in to the 110 Nation Sports Show. I am your host, Mr. CJ Sports. You can follow me at Mr. CJ Sports. You can follow the 110 Nation at 110 Nation. Check us out on Facebook, my personal fan page, Mr. CJ Sports, 110 Nation fan page, 110 Nation Sports. Also, check out our site, www.the110nationsports.com, for all the latest going on here at the uh, 110 Nation. I want to make sure that I thank Fit for Life. You guys can find them on Facebook, Fit for Life, or you can also go to our site, www.the110nationsports.com. The right-hand side, click the pretty little banner. Find a location near you, 24-7, 365. Get your gym on, clean facility, courtesy staff. Everything you could possibly need or want that is Fit for Life. I also want to thank Maxivation uh, Digital Marketing. Um, they've been helping us out uh, with uh, some logo work for all the shows um, the logo work that's going to be going on, the uh, iRacing car that uh, we're sponsoring, and uh, a couple other things. So I uh, want to make sure that I thank them. I also got to thank the I-95 Sports Network and Mile High Radio for rebroadcast or syndicating our show. Without these uh, great marketing partners and or networks, we wouldn't be able to do what we do or grow the way we grow. So I want to make sure that I uh, thank each and every last one of them. Uh, we got uh, NHRA. Um, top fuel driver, um, Scott Palmer, joined us tonight here at 8.30. Looking forward to uh, getting to meet him and uh, uh, find out uh, what got him into racing, where he came from, um, what the goals are, kind of catch up with this season, talk a little bit about Sonoma. Uh, we also got Izzo stopping by the studio at 9.30. As uh, Mike and uh, Izzo, we each got caught up um, on everything going on in the NHL. Uh, but before then, I get Mike in the studio, find out what he's got going on Friday night, uh, where he could be found, liked, and all the whatnots. Mike, how you doing tonight? Great. How you doing, CJ? Okay. We got a good show lined up. Uh, my my invitees and everything are in line. Uh, I've got definitely Edge in his left. I'm going to be uh, joining us. Uh, he is a father. And also, uh, in the second hour, I've invited Chris Kirby, who once again won a late event. He used to be back. And he, he was uh, year, 
um, season, in past seasons, he's been dominant. He looks like he's got the car moving well again. And another pass, two other pass guests, CJ. Um, I'm going to post for you the uh, Peter Milano's video um, for of the uh, 77 lap of Evans, Baldwin, and Gisambek race. Um, I tried to get it to you and to this year on Saturday night on the Facebook Live. I uh, didn't um, open up or whatever happened there technically, but I will put it up for uh, you on with the other video and... Uh, the interesting thing there is uh, our past guest, another one, uh, John Fortin, G. Fortin, uh, finished second to his father. He had told us back on the show, on my show, that he wanted to, uh, his dream was to go, both of them, father and son, wanted to go 1-2 on a, a given uh, modified race, and they did that uh, Saturday night, and the other guest we had on just Friday night, John Kennedy, uh, finished strong, um, or was finished was in third place for a lot, lot of the race. But it was an interesting race, and uh, if he could have won it, that would have been really emotional uh, because Tommy Baldwin was his father, one of them in the race, of uh, one of the early on the news of the Memorial Race with his dad. Uh, Tommy Baldwin Senior. So it was a really interesting race, and I will put it up on the uh, one ten pages, and I'll give it to you in this league. Uh, awesome when you come on. You can find me on my personal Facebook page, the one ten Nation pages, the Hot Laps with Stats pages, my, the website. And my Twitter account, which is at Stats108. I was <clears throat> starting to wonder, did I really just miss all that? Or um, I, I didn't think you had done the, uh, the social media. got real quiet there for a second. I was kind of confused. Then all of a sudden you started doing it. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I wanted to make sure I didn't mute myself or whatever. Good <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh Lord. A lot of... A lot of intriguing things this weekend, Mike. Um, yes, I guess. I, I, guess I, I guess I'll start with the. I don't want to say sad news in the sense that nobody is hurt, sick, or is dying or dead. Um, but friends of the show um, and one of the top teams in the, the ARCA series. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they have a uh, closed shop, uh, Mason Mitchell Motorsports. Um, reasons are kind of unclear unless you've got some uh, update, Mike, but uh, um, one can assume it has something to do with finances. Um, we've not heard much out of the camp lately, and, you know, I, when, when I heard the news, when I woke up this morning and had the messages, um, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I, I can't remember the last time I even remember hearing, you know, Mason Mitchell, you know, car or anything. I, I don't know when was the last time that, you know, they they had a car out there that was even relevant because I, I can't recall anybody, you know, bringing up uh, any of those cars finishes lately. So, um, you know, obviously I've missed a lot of races and I try to cut, catch the updates, but uh, 
Um, I think, you know, it's, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they went in Toronto at least. It was at least one race they went to. I could be wrong, but I, I, I remember it being mentioned at least early in the season, early in the locker season. I thought. Right? Seems like we'd had... I don't know, it seems like we had the driver, whoever was driving for Mason Mitchell for Daytona, it seems like. Um, right. It seemed like... <laughs> what it seemed like, you know, it's, you know, unfortunate. I'm pretty, sure had, uh, I'm pretty sure we had one driver because he was the latest, you know, person to be in the seat. I know we were talking, you know, right back to him, whoever it was. And it, it mm-hmm. you know, sits my mind who it was, but I'm sure we had that, one, 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 one of somebody that I went and watched at Myrtle Beach. It seems like it was whoever – I didn't go. I went to see Molly, but it seems like he was there, and then we had him on the show, and that's when I found out that he was there, and we talked about that, and that was the driver that was going to be for this. And it seems like I, I might not be correct, but that seems maybe – yeah, we both remember. We might not remember the same instance, but I know it was this year, this season. Definitely uh, sad to hear that uh, in his uh, statement. It, it said it wasn't a goodbye. It was a see you later. So I, I don't know um what that means if, you know, there's hope somewhere down the line, somewhere real soon, maybe, you know, it's just a sponsorship thing. I, you know, I obviously we don't know. And I, you know, I'd, I'd like to have my hopes in knowing that, you know, Mason would be able to uh, field some cars again real, real soon, um, sooner than later. Um, but, you know, it, it was kind of a vague. So um, sad, sad to see that happen, though. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it is a shame when everybody, anybody closes up, um, but it's, you know, it, you have to assume it's monetary related, especially the way sports going now, until you hear something different. And uh, um, the only way, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't know because I didn't hear anything other than what was written, and I read the Facebook post, but... Um, Usually, um, you know, you hope it's it's monetary because then they can pick up here here and there and might might come out for racing. Uh, the only thing that's that's bad, really bad, is when you hear that they're selling off equipment or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they're really then they're really closing up or selling cars or whatever. That's bad. If it's just oh. We're, we're just closing up for now, and we'll be back. Well, that's monetary, but there's no way of knowing based on, as uh, so other than what you just mentioned. Bye, bye. See you later. We'll be back. Whatever you go there, on that at the end of that paragraph, uh, it seems like it might be monetary. Well, we got uh, our first guest joining us at uh, eight thirty, Mike. So. Uh, Let's jump into a couple of uh, things we got on uh, on our trip around the world before uh, our guest joins us. Okay, uh, let me grab the sheet and see what's the quickest. 
and I can pass some of it up with uh, some of the baseball trades. Um, okay, wait a second. Here we go. Come on. All right. Um, interesting. A uh, couple of days with the. Um, See if I can get them now. Oh. Okay, interesting here, CJ. Um, and we talked about this uh, before. And there's three baseball players that, and I, I have to scratch my head with this because after we talked about it, and then there are three more. Uh, the one that we talked about originally was the Bulls uh, picture. Um, Josh Peter and uh, two more uh, one a Braves pitcher and the other is the Washington Nationals shortstop and they both again uh, offensive tweets uh, from, from years ago surfaced now my question here, rhetorically, because I don't know the answer, is what are people doing lately, CJ? Are they sitting there watching a ball game and saying, oh, Pitcher X is pitching. Let me go over to Twitter and see if I can find anything that they might have said like 10 years ago. It's ridiculous. Two other players are involved. Now, there's three players, three baseball players this year this season have been caught, so-called caught, with these with these tweets, and I'm 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 wondering, you know, a what is baseball going to do about it, if anything, and what can they do ten years later? It just it it doesn't make sense to me. It's like somebody is digging this stuff up as they watch a ball game, saying, "Oh, pitcher A is is pitching. Let's see if there's anything on him." Since he's pitching tonight, let me see if there's anything offensive I can dig up. It's it's just incredible. Like like I said, it was last week or the week before we we, we kind of got on this. I'm not defending, so nobody taking it. I'm defending anything anybody says, especially if it's offensive, racial, sexist, whatever the case may be. But let's also at the same time let's be honest. One, things that we said as kids or teenagers were, I'm not going to say the word I'm not wanting to use is acceptable because if it is offensive, it's not acceptable, but it wasn't, it wasn't deemed as offensive as words we take some things nowadays. Like I said, don't make it right, but you can't judge somebody for what they said 7, 10, 15 years ago because things Generations were different and things, you know, just, just like today, the N-word with the A, you know, it's in songs, people use it, and it's not deemed offensive. But 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't use any form of that with that not being deemed offensive. Like, you, it just wasn't the same. It, it was a brand new thing when you talk about NWA and all of them, you know, you know, throwing it out there that way. And, and so that, you know, that was a culture shock. Um, and also, you, you can't hold somebody, unless it's, and 
I don't I don't know how offensive it would have to be to still hold somebody to what they said 10, 15 years ago. Kids and teenagers say stupid things. Everybody, I, I, I used this last time I said, there's only one person that has ever walked the face of this earth that has been perfect and not said anything offensive and, and would never have to take anything back or a tweet back or a post back. Um, and, and that's Jesus. Outside of that, anybody and everybody has said something once upon a time that if they use social media like we did now, we could go back and, and find something that they said that we would be offended by or shocked or whatever. Um, it is what it is. People say the stupidest thing, especially when you're a young adult. Like I said before, if it was something they said this year, this week, this month, last year or two, or to what degree, how far back to how offensive it was, yeah, maybe an issue, but... These people digging stuff that these people said as teenagers and kids and um, even college students. I, I was a bouncer for 12 years. Most of the time that I bounced, it involved college people or young adults. And I, I, I've never heard so much offensive stuff and off-the-wall stuff in my lifetime, but I, I didn't take nothing by it. They're young adults and say stupid things and under the influence of even if I if I took everything as as an offensive statement and, and took it personal and um and took it for how I wanted to take it or for literal meaning, then I, I would spend my whole day being uh, offended, pissed off, and and wanting to fire everybody. Like I I don't get it. Like I said, I if it's to a certain point, yes. Um, but you you would really have to say something really off the wall as a kid or a young teenager for me to really take it like he really meant that. I know things that I said as a young kid and the jokes that we would say that I, I wouldn't say now. Like, times have changed. The, 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 I've grown up. I'm, I, I don't say childish stuff. Like, it just so I, I'm with you, Mike. I don't get it. Um it's like I said, unless it's current, what really makes a difference? We're we're interested in what he's doing on the field and how he's conducting himself now. He's in a contract now. It don't matter what he said back then. It's it's people with no life that have nothing else better to do than trying to find a way to get a hit or get a like or people to share their stuff, dig up stuff to, to make themselves a name, and that's really what it boils down to me. Interesting story, a couple of stories about um, LeBron. Um, and um, this, you know, again, CJ, we talked about uh, the, the negative things, not because we want to talk about it, but because that's what makes the news, unfortunately. Uh-huh. But LeBron is actually, over the weekend, it was announced he started like a school for at this youth. Uh, through his foundation uh, in L.A., and also um, that he reiterated once again that he wanted to come to L.A. because there was a lot of talk, and wouldn't you know who was in the middle of it, C.J.? Um, Charles Barkley ended up saying that, and that, now again, knocking LeBron for wanting to be like a movie star, and that's why he came to L.A. 
Well, hello, Charles Barkley. Um, Shaq made, you know, was in a movie. Not to say it was the greatest movie ever made. Uh, Jordan, of course, I forget the uh, I forget the movie he was in. That was with the ad, uh, animated with Freddie Bunny. I remember that because I remember Right at the at the at the time, you know, LeBron is not. If, if LeBron makes a movie because he's out there, big deal. So is every everybody else in the NBA on board. Um, well, the whole thing, the whole thing. LeBron's already been in one movie. Um, I, I can't think of the. I have the movie. I can't think of the movie that LeBron's in. Um, it's with Amy Schumer um, and John Cena is in it as well. Um, and he's already doing Space Jam too. So uh, I, I think LeBron went to LA for a couple of reasons. One to further his brand. Um, you know, I, I, the other part is I think he wanted a, I think he wanted that type of living as he retires. I, I don't think he wants to retire in Ohio. I, I think that he wants the, the Hollywood to further his career. Once he retires. He, he's going to have to do something else, and it's not going to be something in Ohio. So, to me, he's setting himself up for his last contract, his last days, and what his next move is going to be. Um, and, and being in L.A., being in the spotlight, um, getting more opportunities that he's already, than he's already gotten, and furthering his brand, that that's he's preparing himself for after basketball. That's all it is. That's nothing to do with trying to be a movie star. He's already been in movies. It's him preparing himself for the, the life after basketball. Right. Uh, I see nothing wrong with it. I just, you know, it surprised me. I can't say it surprised me either because Charlie Barkley will say anything. But, um, you know, it, it's just it's just another person trying to knock LeBron, and I, I don't understand it as you don't. Uh, but anyway, um, interesting stories out of basketball. Uh, I don't saw this one, CJ. Vince Carter. And I remember Vince Carter when he was just coming out of North Carolina and he was drafted by Toronto. Uh, he's 41 years old, and he was signed by the Atlanta Hawks. You got so, you got players that are in the basket in the NBA now that were born after he was drafted in the NBA. Like he he's he's got an NBA career that's longer than some of the players on the on the court at this point. That is uh, one one. It's, it's to me it's kind of humorous. But two, we talk about LeBron James and how athletically gifted he is and. Um, how well he's taken care of himself in 15 years. I don't think Vince Carter gets enough credit. I, I, obviously, Vince Carter doesn't play as many minutes, um, and Vince Carter um, is not in not in the spotlight and not handling the ball as much as LeBron. But any given night, Vince Carter can put up good numbers. I, I've seen him score a good amount of points, even in the last season or two. Um, he, he'll give you the, the minute you put him on the court. He's going to give you an all-out effort. He's not going to, you know, half half butt it um, to, to keep it PG. Um, you know, he he might not have to play at the level that 
LeBron James is playing, but 21 years and at the level that he, his career has been throughout his career, and even in the role that he's accepted now, I don't think Vince Carter gets the credit that he deserves a lot of times. Um, I, I think the, the the spotlight on LeBron and, and how he has kept himself in shape is put a big shadow over some of these other players like Vince Carter, who doesn't stay hurt a lot and does, you know, for for most of his career anyway, um, and, and does play the minutes and gives what he gives when he is out on the courts. I I think that he gets overshadowed um, when we talk about uh, players like this. Right, right. Um, and he's and he's not in the news in a bad way either. A lot of times, I mean, he basically read about Vince Carter and his point total and. And what he's doing on the basketball court and, and very little else comes out about him in a bad way. So, uh, you know, he deserves kudos for that as well. Um, interesting um, couple of things here with football, CJ, with the training camp now open. Um, two individuals that were threatening to hold out, and then I guess you could say saner minds prevailed. Uh, one was Julio Jones, and one was from my team, the Jets, and when I first read this, he had come to, Sam Donald had come to um, um, the uh, off-season workouts and, you know, mini camp, and really impressed the people and really impressed the Jet veterans, Uh uh, that were there uh, during during uh, camp, um, and, and you know was really people were encouraged. And then the next day he wasn't in camp and was wasn't there for like two days. And then somebody got a hold of him and said, "Hey Sam, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand Ricky's holding out CJ for another reason." They sign rookie contracts. You can only, uh, you know, go with so high. I understand the difference between a first round draft pick and, you know, a sixth or a seventh round. But my, but my, uh, my feeling was there was always a ceiling on rookie uh, contracts anyway. But in any case, Sam Donald is back with the Jets. Uh, reported into camp, and the other person, as I said, is Julio Jones, and he is trying to get into the good races, I believe, with the uh, Atlanta Falcons, because he said, okay, you don't have to, I don't have to sign a contract or an extension, um, you know, and so that's what he did, and uh, apparently in those two cases, the same minds prevailed. Yeah, I'm not a uh, I'm not a big fan on the whole holding out thing. Um, one, I, I hate the the, the rookies have kind of gained some leverage. Uh, I guess I, the word I could use when you're, you're talking now. Um, Barkley signing a 41 million dollar um, rookie contract. I, I feel that we're getting back into the the boat that we was in before, and we have Sam, Sam Bradford signing an $80 million, I think almost all of the guaranteed contract or whatever it was, um, and, and Sam Bradford's hardly even played a complete season. Um, I, I feel that you're you're starting to walk back into that direction with these contracts. 
Um, like I said, I, I think there should be some cap. I, I, I think rookies should only get a year or two, maybe three, pushing it if you're in the first round. And you, you look no more than maybe $10 million for a three-year contract. I, I, you've not proven nothing. You've not played at the the highest level. You got drafted out of uh, uh, out of a pool of 200 and some odd schools, so you only get such a good team. You're, you're not playing against 32 of the best of the best that you can assemble in the NFL. you you got a bunch of diluted college teams. Yes, you got some teams like Alabama and Ohio State that are they're better than others, but you're, you're not playing anything equivalent. Therefore, to me, you really do not have that true uh, a $40 million value. You just don't. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this and the other things we got to jump into um, after uh, our guest. Um, we got our first guest uh, in the studio, so I'm going to go ahead and get him in here. We got uh, NHRA driver Scott Palmer. Uh, looking forward to the opportunity to uh, get to introduce Scott to our, our listeners, uh, find out a little bit about his past, what got him into uh, racing, uh, when he got into racing. I, I find that to be a fascinating story. Um, up to uh, the, the turnaround this season and uh, what he thinks has caused that, and talk uh, Sonoma. Uh, like I uh, told Mike, uh, got the opportunity to sit down and watch uh, Sonoma Sunday night, so uh, looking forward to talking a little bit about that as well. But without uh, any further delay, let's go ahead and get him into the uh, studio. Scott, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Glad to uh, have you in the studio tonight. Um, before we jump into this, we'd like to uh, give our guests an opportunity to plug themselves social media-wise. If it be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, however you interact with your uh, fans. Also, uh, any uh, team site, personal site, sponsors, anything you want to throw out there. That way the uh, listeners can keep up with you, not only um, in 2018, but also moving forward. Yeah, you know, it's pretty much Scott Palmer Racing on Facebook, Cat Spot Racing, um, and, and uh, Scott Palmer Racing on on all of all of the stuff, Twitter, you know, the whole, the whole thing, just... Uh, that's pretty much Scott Palmer Racing and Cat Spot Racing. Cat Spot Racing covers all the other cars that are involved with the with the Cat Spot organization. So you know, you, you'll get to see a big variety of sprint cars, Harley White, and some others. You know, there's some other other options on there too. But uh, that's pretty much our deal. Scott Palmer Racing on Facebook is probably the the, the most the busiest one. I always uh, find it interesting what gets drivers into the sports and I guess raising kids is always interesting to me at what age and a lot of times especially in the NASCAR series you, you get go-kart drivers at four five six years old I know what my kids were like at four five six I, I couldn't imagine them in a go-kart um, but I'm, I'm always interested and curious uh, where it all began and how it began at, at what age did you get into racing and what made you get into racing or more specifically drag racing well, you know, my my whole family raced when I was a kid. I'm I'm 54 now, so you know, back then we didn't have junior dragsters. So my dad actually let me race a car whenever I was 13, 14 years old at the local eight-mile drag strip. So that's how I got started. I I just went out and worked on the car, and and uh, you know, my dad would make me pretty much make me stay home on Saturday night if I wanted to drive the car on Sunday. So I would stay home, work on the car, even if the car was ready. He'd make me clean it, clean the windows and the wheels, and you know, my dad was a little bit of a hard ass, but, you know, he, he taught me how to work, you know, and that's what it takes. Yeah. It's hard work. 
you don't have a lot of money, you better be willing to work. And you always, I always have more respect for those drivers that work on their stuff and, and have got in there. You, you hear, you, you get those, those some drivers out there that they happen to come for money, and it's like, especially at a young age, they just show up to the track that daddy or daddy's friends all took care of the car. They just kind of show, all they had to do was show up. And then you get drivers like yourself that, that got in there, really learned everything that you need to learn to help you further your career. And it, it, you always have more respect for drivers that know what they're driving, not just driving something. At what point did you or did you guys realize that this wasn't just a hobby, that there was something there, this is what you wanted to do, and knew, you knew you could make a career out of it? Well, you know, I started running, I've, I got a top fuel car 15 years ago, but to be real honest with you, I had no business getting one. I had no money. I painted cars in my garage. That's how I made a living. I didn't I didn't have a big shop. I, you know, I just, I was just working night and day trying to, trying to get started. I had, you know, street cars before that and I'll call a funny car after that. And I kind of worked my way up, but I, I could see the writing on the wall. If you wanted to get any kind of funding to go run a car, you're going to have to spray fire out the headers and make some big noise. So that's what I did. I took a chance and I had a lot of friends that helped me along the way. And, uh, you know, I just I just kept working and 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 it paid off. It just paid off. I met the right people. Tommy Thompson, who I met him four or five years ago, and and he owns Cat Spot, and that's that's how that whole relationship started. So, and he he actually helps us because he likes the way we work. He said he's never seen anyone want to race as bad as our team does because we've done it with no money for so long that. You know, he wanted to help us out, and and that's our goal: make make his money pay off, not only for us but for him. Now, everything you've had an opportunity to race, what felt most comfortable to you, or maybe felt natural being behind, and what what did you get in that was maybe kind of startle you? It was more horsepower than you maybe was used to, or it just didn't feel as comfortable. Uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky. I've drove just about everything, pro-mod cars. I'm a huge pro-mod race fan, and, and I drive one, and I have one. And But you know what? I feel comfortable in anything. I mean, pretty much anything. We we also, myself and Tommy Thompson, have a top-fuel hydro put together, a, a top-fuel boat with a 10,000-horse motor in it. That's the only thing that I have not driven, and I don't plan to. The, the boat guys, those guys are crazy. They're, they're a different breed, you know. <laughs> But we love we love boat racing, but I'm not driving it. Um, I'm gonna let Mike jump in here and take a few, and then I'll end up wrapping things back up. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, I'm just curious. Uh, I, I'm I grew up around an oval track, so uh, but I watched drag racing, and I'm just wondering. I read in your bio that you went to your first line around um, just this season. What is the difference when you're going? Obviously, uh, you will get to the end of the strip first. That's, you know, you don't need uh, rockets to figure that out. But when you're a driver and you, you've got the same, basically the same horsepower and the same machine under you, uh, what is the difference for you uh, between the one that gets you, you know, in, in, you know to the first, to the final round versus uh, you know, the other rounds where you might not have advanced? 
you know, just do, do you feel the one is different, or how do you gauge something like that? Because basically, you have the same automobile. You know, you know, you know the the main thing is we we have the same parts and pieces, but the the missing link for us was always the experience because you can't gain experience without running, and if you if you run if you run a lot without a good combination, you'll put yourself out of business because it costs so much to tear one up. And so what what moved us around and, and it shortened our learning curve was uh, Steve Torrance's team, Torrance Racing, and the Capco team. They're number one in points. They're the best team out there right now, and they basically have shared all their information with us and actually have their guys, you know, physically hold our hand. It's not. It's not advice, it's help. And they've mm-hmm. they've they've catapulted us ten years worth of, you know, experience and knowledge and and it's just put us up in the front. I, I mean it's actually I, made it happen. And I don't mean to cut Mike off here, but I I, I wanna ask a question. What makes a team wanna do that? I, I'm not I, I don't know the exact backstory. I you know, I read you know, the same bio or earlier, but I, I'm curious what makes a team want to reach out and help another team. If you're on top, why would you, most of them what don't. makes them want to reach out like that? Most of them don't. It's, it's a special team. It's a family team. It's a self, you know, their their company is Capco uh, Pipeline. They do Pipeline in Texas. And and I've, I've actually been friends with, with Steve Torrance since he was a kid, and I've been friends with their crew chiefs and some of their crew guys for years, and mm-hmm. And we all just kind of hit it off. And when I got this, when I got the deal with, to run the full season last year with Tommy, that's one of the things I told him. I actually, I actually asked him all. I was like, you know, if I, Tommy Thompson's a friend of mine. I don't want to take his money and not make any improvements. I was worried about that. So they basically just took us under their wing and and made it all happen. And and, and most people wouldn't do that. They they've spent millions yeah. of dollars for that knowledge. They are, it's an open book policy there. If you look at our qualifying like that's amazing. we qualified seventh, and they qualified eighth. So anybody who doesn't think they're giving us everything that they they have, mm-hmm. we should have proved that last week, you know. And and they lost first round, and we went to the we got down to four cars. But if you look on on TV, you'll see Steve Torrance over there mixing fuel, and you'll see their guys over there helping us. It's a it's a huge family deal, and they've taken us in and. Treat us like family, not like a teammate. They treat us like family. And that's and, and I'm gonna give it back to you, Mike. But that that's just amazing. Like I, you know, I'm just sitting here listening to it. And I'm like, well, who? You know, you just don't hear about that. And that that speaks a lot of them. And that's just amazing that you you have somebody like that that is willing to reach out or them in general um, doing that. That just I, I that's that's above and beyond. That's it's like a- something you just don't hear about. So. You, you don't hear about it, and you don't see it out there because it's such big money. We're talking, you know, two to four million dollars a year to run one of these minimum, and you just don't see people share their advantage they have with people. They have an yeah. advantage this year. They are they've won they've won almost half the races this year so far, and for them wow. to share that with us is unheard of. But 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 it's it, to me it's a compliment to them. And it's also a compliment mm-hmm. to our team because they believe in us and trust us enough yeah. to do that for us. So it makes me feel good about our team. We got a great team. I give it back to you, Mike. <laughs> okay. Um, 
this along the same lines. I, I read, and I also know because I'm a reporter, and I when I go to my uh, local track back home, I, you know, I'm in the pits most of the time, and between the pits and the, and the watching the races. But the interesting thing to me is um, racers, including yourself, from what I read in, in terms of fans, you let them back there and, and, you know, into the pit area to ask questions and everything. And what's, what's different for me, when I, when I watch a drag race, you guys are taking apart and putting it together the cars, you know, during each or after each run. Uh, with like a modified stock car, they bring the modified into the pocket until the next, you know, until the next time trial or the next race or the next practice. And you could sit there and talk to them. And yeah, there might be, if something's wrong, you might see them adjust something, but you could still talk to them while they're, you know, while they're, you know they don't have to be looking at you. But I, I was always intrigued by drag racers having the fans there and while they're taking the cars apart. You know, you know, really, it seems to me that they were almost getting away, you know? Well, that, that's one of the biggest attractions to our sport is, you know, the fans get to see behind the scenes every, every run since we tear the motors down completely to a bare, mm-hmm. a bare block and back together and and the fans can stand right there and watch the whole process go by in less than an hour. Less than an hour, and so, you know, rebuilt and completely ready to go. Right. So I guess I guess they're not right right there. I mean, they're so But I know CJ went to an event in Yeah, I've never been. You're you're only about an arm length away. Like you're you're right there. I mean, you at, at different points. I mean, maybe two arm lengths away from the car, but you're right. There, like you, you're, you you're, uh, yeah, you're right there. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, yeah, you know, I one and we, and I have this team and all that. I, I'm still amazed that you can get that close to one of these machines. I, I'm, you know, if, if we go out early or we lose early or something, I still go over to Torrance's pits or somebody's pits and I watch them service the car because it's, it's, it's quite an event to watch. I mean, it's oh, yes. organized chaos. It's it's wild. Yes, an awesome part of the sport. <laughs> how right. how how involved are you? Like we've had Erica on the show a few times, and she talks about how involved. And that was when I went to the Charlotte. Not the when you guys do the quad, but when you guys are in the, your your countdown. Um, you know, I, I watched her and how involved she was in between. Um, how involved or what do you do um, in between rounds? I pretty much do do anything that that I can. I mean, until last year, I actually did the bottom end of the car every run. I've, I've done okay. it until last year, and you know now I I just kind of help help the guys with whatever they need. But you know I just I just the valves at the end, and I you know I do whatever whatever needs to be done at the shop. I do every, all of it. I mean, it's build the motors, what, whatever needs to be done at the shop because we have we have three full time guys, but we're not home a lot, you know, so when we get mm-hmm. home, you know, I'm, I'm really the only one who, who is at the shop all the time, every day, every single day. So I try to do as much as I can. And, and sometimes I need to stay out of the way because they're so good. They sometimes I'm, I'm in the way because I think I want to help, you know, but you know, I'm still pretty, I'm still involved in the whole process, the whole process of the deal. I download the computer, get it on the, 
get the run up and do some of the, you know, the, the tune up program. I do some of that. And there's just, a, there's so much to it anymore that it takes, we have 10 people on our team and I don't know how you do without one of them. It would be very difficult to do without one person at, and run at this level and run this hard and be this competitive. Um, uh, do you, uh, I'll ask what I generally ask of the local guys, um, because it's, it is basically a straight line that you're going in, um, but hopefully, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully. Uh, there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different uh, aspects to each track. Is there a favorite track that you have to run on or one that you've been most successful at? And conversely, is there one that you, when it comes up on the schedule, you're like, oh, no, we're back here again? Um, do you, you know, have one of those? You know, uh, no, not not really. I mean, I do. I, I like Bristol, and I like uh, I like Sonoma, which we just left. But I like the scenery, you know. I just like the view of the track and not so much the track surface because, you know, the track surfaces are reasonably close everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, some are better than others, but... You know, Sonoma was. Uh, I like Sonoma this week because we had some success there last week, and and uh, actually we've done good at Seattle. So I'm looking forward to being at Seattle. Right now we're looking for cool tracks, and the weather's going to be good there. So, you know, it's been so hot over the summer that we're all ready to have a jacket on or a hoodie. So we can't wait. It's going to be 75 there. It's going to be a. It's going to be a cold front for us. <laughs> um, but as far as as far as like conditions. Um, because you take, you know, again, with, with modified in the cars I'm used to, um, you, you might make adjustments here and there, but you guys basically rebuild the car every time. Um, yeah. so I'm wondering, I'm wondering, can you, like, like the way you ran at Sonoma, can you basically have a notebook to do the same thing or is it yeah. basically... Because you have everything taken apart, you, you actually uh, how complete is your notes, and can you can you uh, you know do the same thing the same way and still come out with the same type of speed? Yeah, we uh, we actually have there is a tune-up program that takes into effect all the different altitude and you know parametric pressure, and there's a lot to it, and oh, basically. Wow. It'll it'll make the motor make the same power. That's why they ran so good in Denver. Denver was 9,300 feet above altitude. Now we're, last weekend was a you know 800 feet above altitude, just you know for corrected altitude. But if you look back at if you look at at uh, Denver, they ran very close to what they ran last weekend at Denver in that altitude, and that's all because of the. This, the tune-up programs have come so far in the last five years that Crazy. it makes it makes adjustments, and you you make the adjustments on the car with head gaskets, compression, blower overdrive. Everything's just come a long way, and with without the help of a heavy hitter team, we would not have that program. I mean, wow. we wouldn't we wouldn't actually know how to do that just yet. I mean, we would be behind. I always tell everybody we were always. We're always five years behind on everything. We'd get something five years after after it was, had been out. So you're always behind. Mm-hmm. Now we're not. Now we have the same clutch disc, the same clutch, the same clutch levers, blowers, 
you know, there's just a there's just a lot of stuff to it that you just don't gain without anything but experience, you know. Yeah, and last thing for me, and then I'll give it back to CJ. Uh, I'm just wondering is, and I've always asked this of of, of drivers. Uh, we just had a situation with uh, a person I've had on uh, that his father was honored uh, in a memorial race, and you have the race coming up where your uh, sponsor is the title sponsor of the whole stop. And I was wondering, is there extra pressure on you to perform because your title sponsor is the title, I mean, your, your primary sponsor is the title sponsor of the whole event? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't really feel any more pressure with that. I mean, we have a lot of uh, functions we're going to do. We've got a big press release or press conference downtown, and we also are displaying our actual car that we race at the Mariner Stadium Thursday at you know before the game at seven o'clock. So we'll have our actual car that we're going to run the next day on display there before the game, and then we're all going to go to our whole team and Torrance's team. All of us are going to the game. And then we'll go back Friday and get ready. But no, I, I don't feel any more pressure because, like I said, Cat Spot is owned by a really good friend of mine, and and he doesn't put pressure on us. He he basically wants us to go out there, do the best we can, and have fun. He wants us to enjoy this, and he's just a great man. He's like the Torrances. You know, I'm just I'm just pretty lucky to have this many good people in my life. You know, that have helped us along the way. Right. It's a special well, group luck. of people. Good luck with this next event, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Okay, CJ, um, you got back. I, okay, I so good. Thank you. I just got a couple more. I'm going to get to okay. it here. Um, so talking about Sonoma, um, I, I got an opportunity. I happened to be up until 3.30 Sunday night. I believe it was Sunday night, so I got to watch it. Um, the round that uh, – you exited. I think you said it was like four cars left. The, the people on the radio, on the TV, said they they believe maybe you spun the wheels. Is that what happened um, to, to to cost you the the win on that? And, and if so, yes, what causes? Because okay, there was a few people that they understood their wheel. What causes that? And is there a way to recover? Um, or once you do that, you're you're pretty much done for that round. Well, for that round, I did it so early that there was no recovering. I mean. Gotcha. You could have you know, stepped back on the gas and probably blown up one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of stuff. And, and you know, if he would have, if he would have spun the tires, if he would have smoked the tires like we did, I, it would have definitely, we would have, I would have got back on the gas. But I, I saw him; he was already to half track by the time you, you get it calmed down. So there was no need to step back on it. And, you know, we had a, gotcha. we had a mechanical issue that that you just don't have, and and. Uh, you know, we just run the we'd run seven hundreds faster than him the round before, so there was no doubt we were we were going to be competitive. And then he ended up winning the race because the army car Schumacher smoked the tires against him. So mm-hmm. we just look at it as we we definitely put ourselves in a position to win a race last weekend. We didn't get it done, but we know it gives us confidence that we can get that done. We've been to the final round this year in the semifinals a few times, so. You know, we're just looking to we just we just need to keep going. If you keep putting yourself in that position, it's gonna happen. Yeah, you know, I've been to a couple of events and I've watched a lot of events. Is is 
but I don't know a lot, and we've had a lot of drivers on, but I, I don't know a lot about the car. Just a lot of horsepower, and it, it's, it's it, if you've never been to a race, you guys need to get to a race. Like I, it's it's an amazing feeling. Um, is is it easy for you guys to spin the tires? Is, is it a common thing? I, yeah. It didn't seem like I've seen a lot. It, it is. Um, I, I was just wondering because um, I, I would figure so. That's it, a lot of fun. It's just amazed me watching watching you guys do this. Yeah, it, it's such a fine line to to not spin the tires, and you know, usually, and especially this year, they've cut back on the track prep, trying to make the they're actually doing it because they're trying to make the tires last longer because the tires were ripping the tread off and it was a, you know it's kind of dangerous because you're going three hundred miles an hour and the tread's coming off the tires so you know they've kind of done that so it makes it a little easier to to smoke the tires but you know it even to playing field it's who can make the right call and and you know we've we've had a lot of success with the track conditions like they are with the new track prep mm-hmm. but you know, so so is everyone else. I mean, so is some other people. But I think what it's done is it's made some of the single car teams like the, uh, Blake Alexander who won. It has made them competitive because the powerhouse teams. It's it's a it's actually difficult to back these things down enough to not smoke the tires when the track prep is gotcha. on. So we, you know, oh. we're lucky because we've raced on we've done a lot of match racing on marginal tracks all our lives. So we we do have an idea how to get them get down it so we're just using that combined with with what we are learning and just doing the best we can i want to step away from the track just a second i like my fans the listeners get an opportunity to kind of know you outside of the track i always ask these three questions wednesday it's the middle of the week have nothing going on you get out of the shop four or five o'clock don't leave it back till the next morning um, you're not ready to kind of look forward to next week. You're kind of trying to put the w- last week behind you, good, bad, or ugly, whatever the situation is. Uh, what do you do on a Wednesday night to kind of just recharge the batteries, clear the mind, and uh, look forward to the upcoming weekend? You know, I've got to. I definitely have some screws loose because if I have a <laughs> if I have a Wednesday night off, I definitely go to the shop and I'll work on my race car. <laughs> I, that's just that's just all I do. I honestly don't have another hobby. I don't have anything else that I do. If I have an off weekend, I usually uh, it wasn't it, the first of the year we had an off weekend. I drove from I drove eight hours to Dallas, Texas, to the Motorplex to watch a promod race. Just some friends of mine running promod. So if I have an off weekend, I go to a racetrack somewhere. It's, I definitely I definitely have some screws loose. I think. Believe it or not, that was question two. So you just answered question two. Uh, the third <laughs> question, I, the third question I usually ask is if we was to grab your phone and open iHeartRadio, Pandora, um, iTunes, whatever it is you happen to listen to music on, what what kind of music would we find you listening to? Alice in Chains. There you go. That's what you'd hear. Uh, <laughs> it'd be Alice in Chains. Yeah, it'd probably be Alice in Chains, nonstop or. You know, some God smack in there, and that's that's what I listen to. That's there pretty much go. it. So it's always interesting and great choices. Um, Scott, I want to wish you uh, good luck the rest of the season. Hopefully things continue to go in the direction. Um, and and um, an amazing plug for uh, um, CatSpot and, and all of those that have helped uh, turn your guys' season around. And um, I can't – I'm still amazed and shocked, really, on what they have done and how – they've reached out and help another team instead of just dominating and letting everybody suffer. 
Um, that, that speaks a lot of uh, everybody in, in this sport period, um, and especially these two teams and these companies. Um, hopefully uh, we get you back later on the season and get caught up on, on maybe a championship run and everything else um, and, and some wins. Um, but good luck, and hopefully we talk to you soon, and uh, you have a great night. Okay, thanks for having me on, and uh, I'll invite everybody out come by our pits and hang out and watch the spectacle. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yes, it is. It's an amazing thing to see. You have a great night. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, yes, like if you've not, never been to an NHRA event, you, you definitely uh, need to get down there um, and check it out to, to watch these crew members and even these drivers. I think Erica said she's in charge of the left side of the motor, um, if, if I remember correctly. Um, but to watch these people, this crew, just tear this big motor apart and rebuild and put it back together, and, and it, it literally is a chaotic mess. It's it's crazy, and it's organized, though, like you said. Like, um, everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. There are seldomly, you know, mistakes and, and fumbles and fobbles. It's, it's, it's all in rhythm. It's, it's really orchestrated and amazing to watch and see how much they do. And, you know, it makes you really wonder what the hell your mechanic's doing when they, they do head jobs and change engines and they got to have your car for a day gone, a week or two, but you can watch a crew um, change and rebuild an entire motor in less than an hour. <laughs> makes you rethink some things. Um, but, uh, I, <laughs> Um, like I said, I got, I got an opportunity to sit down and uh, watch Sonoma, and uh, um, good luck to those guys. And uh, how about that uh, that team reaching out, Mike? Like you, that that would be like you know Joe Gibbs racing, you know, reaching out to um, one of these single car teams. Like here, let's let's give you all our information. Let's let's give you some uh, you know some help. Let's uh, let's help improve your equipment. Let's. Well, let's do all this. Just reach out, and it's not happening. Like Joe Gibbs Racing is trying to separate himself from everybody else. Um, that that says a lot about that family, and it says a lot about that team, the sponsors, everything. Because not not only um, and, and, I, and I wish I would have said that when he was on the sponsors. Like I, I you know I just thought about this, Mike. I mean. It, how you wonder how a sponsor takes to that? Like you're, you're paying, so your your guy that you sponsor is the best of the best and has all the national spotlight and everything else. And now you're telling me that you're going to give some of my you know, the money that I'm investing in you, and you're going to shift the spotlight to someone else and take away, you know, all the TV power that you know I'm paying for. Like you're you're going to you're going to share the spotlight. I'm paying for you to have the spotlight. I'm, I'm, I'm paying for my brand to be on TV, not for, you know, that, that's got to say a lot for that, that sponsorship to say, you know what, we're fine with you um, helping reaching out to another team and, and, you know, knowing that that's going to take away from, you know, some possible TV time and everything else and, and, you know, take away, you know, where, how that money's being spent and, and everything else. So, for those sponsors that are involved across the board to be involved with that as well. That, you know, speaks loud, loud for them as well. But, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm still in shock, Mike, that there's a, there's a team out there that is the best of the best and won half the races. And you know what, 
that's that's not us. Like we we we're we're family here. Let's you know that that's kind of how you look at it. Like it's, they're they're reaching out and like that's just that's that's unheard of, Mike. <laughs> like I I don't know what what word to really use for that. I don't, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I said the same thing to on my show. A lot of the guys will help each other. They'll give parts, but they won't give their little secrets, you know. Uh, it's like the party just you get in somebody's car and help them shake it down or uh, tell them what's, you know, what he thinks is wrong. You won't necessarily tell him, you know, what makes Tommy Rogers go fast, you know. Uh, each of these guys, even on the local level, have their own little tricks they do, and uh, you know, so that is that is strange in any division. And the, and the technology, like I can only imagine what that <laughs> technology costs them that they're handing over and sharing with them, or giving them the the technology that you know, so they can use this technology like that. Um, you know that that speaks a lot for and you know for a team to go from pretty much the way I took it when he said it you know they were five years behind is basically when all these other teams got upgrades you kind of got me you got the hand me downs like I I got the new Windows so I'm going to give you the old Windows 10 because now I got a new Windows whatever um, and, and so I hand it down so it's new to you it's a, it's an upgrade for you but you're you're always kind of behind because they're upgrading for you to get those. It's, you know, I kind of how I looked at it when he was talking about they're always five years behind um, and, and until this this merger. And, you know, to have a company that, you know, invest all this money. And I, I tell you what, to, to, to see this team also perform, Scott, you know, and Scott and them perform, you know, it's easy to dump money into. We we've seen many drivers in the NASCAR series. You can dump all the money in in the world, but if you know the team's not good or the driver's not good, you're still not going to get the results. And to see you know this team, you know, get get that help and make the most of it, and and he's an improving and getting the results. You know that that speaks a lot of the type of driver Scott and that whole organization is to. Um, be able to uh, take that information and, and run with it, and, and not fumble it, and, and you know, and not end up paying off. So, um, and, and that that also speaks loud of what their dedication and their work ethic was like. That you know, if things weren't taken serious and, and there wasn't a work ethic there, like I said, you could you could lead a horse to water, but don't mean they're going to drink it. You know, they they don't have that work yeah. ethic and you know what they're doing. It don't matter what you you can put all the technology in front of me all you want, but I I'm not going to be able to help that team. I mean, so um, that that whole that whole situation yeah. like that's like it's mind blowing to me. Like that's 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 one of the things that don't get talked about and like that. We, like we said earlier in the show, all the negative things that get talked about in sports, you know, LeBron James opening the I Promise School, you know, that was something that didn't get the national attention that I guarantee if we woke up this morning and found out LeBron James had smacked his wife and was in jail, you know, I guarantee that would have been played on every sports channel and probably every regular Fox News, CNN, everything else. Um, but just because he opened the school, um, 
you know, he <laughs> there was only a couple posts on my my timeline. Like there was nowhere near the national attention. Um, and and kind of like this, you know, you know, you know, something would have happened, and one of the drivers would have had a, you know, a domestic issue or DUI or something. It, it would have been all over every sports thing. But when you you have a, a feel good story and an organization doing what they're doing in the NHRA um, at the level they're doing, it. and you know, it, it, to me, it's one thing the local tracks, you know. Okay, most of them are doing it for hobbies. Nobody's doing it to win a national championship and millions of dollars in sponsorships online and everything else. Yes, you know, these people don't have the money, and, and to some of these drivers with local tracks, you you, you helping them with tires is like a million dollars, you know, to, so it, gets, it gets to be very expensive. The money gets to be very tight. And when we had um, um, uh it was on your show when I got on there. He was talking about he had to make a decision because uh, there were weeks that um, the power got turned off, you know, for a day or two because he, he invested yeah. money into um, in, into the car and he, you know he had to reprior basically prioritize and cut back. Um, you know, it, it was nothing serious other than maybe the electric was off for a day or two. Um, you know, I, I noticed some of these local drivers. Yes, that that help is, is like that, and, and I you know being down there. And Kayla Lyons uh, pit and being down there when they had to, uh, I think it was a carburetor or something they had to change, and because hers was getting clogged and it it was bogging down, you know the the next team over loaned one and you know they they got it swapped out and it helped um, Kayla's car and everything else and you know it was a big, you know it it, it was like they you know had one you know a thousand dollar scratch off ticket right there some I mean you know it, it was a big deal and big help. Um, I can't imagine, you know, like I said, I could see that happen at those kind of levels in your local tracks because for most people it's a hobby. It's an expensive hobby. And I don't like using the word hobby. But these most local drivers, they're not doing this to put food on the table from week to week or they're not expecting, yes, they maybe wish they were NASCAR drivers but, or cup drivers, but they're not expecting it. It, it, it. It's a dream, and if it happens, it happens. They're the right people. But the likelihood of the, the, the hundreds of drivers that, Every local track and every weekend, the you know just the odds of you being that person that someone scouts out and, and puts through you know some kind of series, it, it's slim to none. The odds are astronomical, um, and, and so you know I those levels I, I expect people to help each other out and everything else. But when when you talk about a top level team. And they are the the top level team in a top level series, like to to reach out and do that kind of thing. To me, that's just that would be like to me that'd be like McDonald's helping out Burger King or something. Like you know, you guys are <laughs> you, you guys are struggling. You guys are stock values down. You know, you, you guys are just not able to keep up with the market. What we're going to do is we're going to let you in on our secrets and give you our technology and what we have found, what Ray Crocker, the founder of McDonald's, you know, what, you know, all this formula stuff to, to help make you guys um, have a better business unit, more one that's more profitable, successful like we are. And we're just going to do it because we want to help you out because we have faith that, you can do it. We we have faith that you have a good product. Just you guys are, are just behind here. You guys' equipment's outdated. Your store's a little bit outdated. Um, you know we're we're going to help you get all that up to date, current, looking, you know, modern, and 
we're just going to do it just because we want. I mean, that to me, that's what just happened here. Um, and so that's why to me it's such an amazing and, and a remarkable story, and it's great that, you know, we get to learn about this and hear about this, and it's just sad that this is not one of those things that, one, you know, this, this should be one of the things that is talked on different sports shows, and, you know, I don't know, you, you just hear things that don't happen and that are good and they don't get talked about, and, you know, this is why people don't know these things, but... You, people are all up and up and ends about Terrell Owens not going to Canton. Like, I mean, this is this is. I, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I, I, I was just sitting here thinking the two things that you were talking about that CJ, and then uh, the thing that amazes me about uh, drag racing, and I've seen different things. Like uh, John Visconti, who was on my show, said it can change an engine now and then. You know, they had Tony Baldwin there one night, and he helped him change an engine. But these guys rebuild the car after every round. And then you look at something like NASCAR, and they can't make the run next You know, makes you Miss Leach chimed in. She said uh, it's Steve Torrenson's team. Um, that is helping out Scott, and uh, Steve's sponsor is his family-owned uh, company. Um, and, and, I, and I think, and that's why I said all the sponsors across the board, because I, I, that's what I was thinking, that it was their sponsor. But I know that there's just, I, I know that's their primary, but there's other sponsors involved. So that's kind of why I changed the wording, because I didn't want to, because I had a feeling that that was, uh, you know, their sponsor. And that's kind of why I changed it up and said sponsors or why I ordered it sponsors across the board because, um, you know, with the the, the, the sub-sponsors, I, I, you know, I I know all of them are, you know, individual and not part of the family. So um, I, I know what Miss Lee was saying. That's And so that's why I said it the way I did because I wanted to be careful because I – and so she kind of cleared that up and clarified um, that. But uh, even so, you know, that's – to talk your family into spending that type of money too, that you know, I don't know that this that that even says more even more about the family as well. To if you know we want to do this and you know the whole family say you know what let's throw you know this money into you know like you know just that's just kind of a cherry on top of this whole crazy remarkable story to me. So um, anyway, we got uh, we got Izzo joining us in about uh, twenty yeah about twenty minutes or so. Um, we did have a, uh, Xfinity Series race, um, Christopher Bell, what, third, third win, yeah, um, third win in a row, fourth win in the season, kind of roughed, uh, uh, ruffled, uh, Regan Smith's, uh, um, I believe Regan, yeah, it was Regan Smith, um, Feathers, uh, felt that he wasn't, uh, race clean, um, To me, it's racing, Mike. Um, I, I I can understand that maybe, you know, I didn't like how Christopher Bell did say when, when he when he said, um, we gotta, "We'll do what we got to do to win," or how he worded it in victory lane. I didn't like that because it looked it it made it sound bad, like you 
kind of did run into him, and then you in your 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 speech in victory lane or victory circle, you're gonna say we're I'll do what I gotta do or we'll do what we gotta do. That that didn't sound. You should have said it then. I, I'm sorry. I, I like Christopher Bell. I, I just talked about the fact that I've been friends with his mom on Facebook forever. I don't know how it all came about, and you know, and, and we've been at least a couple of years, and I've never used that as a way to. You know, we've almost had her on the show, and I, I've never contacted her or, or gone through her. You know, I've liked some different posts and maybe commented on a post or two, and I, she's my delight the post or so of ours. Um, and like I said, we've come close to having him on just through who he drove for, and we just talked about him giving the checker flag. And that was the only reason I watched afterwards. I was going to see, because to me, that you should have embraced it. Um, you, I, I, I talked about the week before that I, I was kind of surprised that he gave up the checker flag, that he went and got it and gave it up because being a young driver, only your third win in your entire Xfinity series, these are all new wins to you. You, you, know, you collect things. That's just what you do as a, a fresh new athlete. And when you accomplish things, he gave it up. He won a lot of points, gained a lot of fans, should have maximized on it. That should have been your marketing uh, point right there. You know, you you got uh, Keselowski with the American flag. You got Kyle Busch with the bow. You had Alan Kowicki with the Polish. You finding a young fan to give a flag to every time you won will be that. You you would have been the American. uh, You would have been most popular driver for a long time to come, I guarantee and instead, and I know you didn't mean it that way. It would mean it this way, but instead you said, "I'll do what I got to do." After you kind of run into him a little bit, um, I, I can see Smith being a little upset. To me, it's racing, though. I don't fault uh, Christopher Bell. I don't think it was a dirty move. I don't think it was a bad move. It was a move that made you win your third straight race and fourth race of the season. I liked it, but I also like Christopher Bell. I don't care if Jr. Motorsports wins the race or not. Uh, not really big on any or fan of really any of the drivers he has in his stable at this point, so I could care less if they win a race. So that's partial, partially my my also why I don't think it was dirty. Um, Mike, did you have an issue with how Christopher Bell finished that race? Come, I believe he came from fourth when he did that. Um, more specifically, do you have an issue with how he passed? And and my look, like I said, I don't think. He intentionally said it that way to make it look that way. But do you at least kind of see my point of view when you roughed him up, then you get in the victory lane saying, I'm going to do what I got to do. Um, and did did you notice that or take it anyway? Or was, you know, I'm just the only one that kind of focused in on that. No, you make it, you know, it's, it's not that you said it, but I have to admit, like, when he came out with that in victory lane, it's like it almost. And I, I don't think, I don't think he did. I like him as well. Um, I root for him when Ryan is not driving on the team that week. Um, you know, there's no doubt. You know, to win three races in a row, uh, not even to say four races in a season, but three in a row like that, you got to have some talent. But that didn't, um, you know, that didn't sound good, like you said. It more or less, even though you even though you know, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say you didn't do it intentionally. The way you put it afterwards almost made it seem like it was intentional, you know. And then, 
the other thing I the other thing I thought about uh, taking the full weekend into account, CJ, is uh, the only thing that saved most of us racing fans, I guess, from the Kyle Busch sweep or you know the the, the Kyle Busch haters, um, was his win was the fact that uh, the Xfinity race took place in Iowa. Otherwise, we might have sat We we might have sat through another weekend the kind of two races, the Xfinity and the Cup race. Speaking of uh, um, the Cup race, Kyle Busch <laughs> wins another Cup race. Um, uh, someone had posted uh, a thing I shared with the group talking about NASCAR changing the rules and. Uh, Making uh, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick start from the uh, parking lot to give the rest of the drivers a chance. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, was brought up in the group, and um, I, I had voiced in my voice opinion. I, I don't remember if you – I didn't get a chance. It was going on at work, so I didn't get to read everybody's responses. But uh, Chris Creighton um, from the Thursday Night Show, uh, Race Chat Live with Chris and Craig, had uh, posted wanting to know our opinions on if the truck series and the Xfinity series guys, if them beating or finally get to a point where they beat Kyle Busch on a regular basis, would it, or do we think that it would affect um, Kyle Busch's confidence and, you know, change, you know, kind of his persona, I guess. Uh, Mike, um, if we get to a point that the regulars are beating Kyle Busch at the truck series level or the Xfinity series level. Do you think it plays in any of Kyle Busch's confidence? Does does it affect his driving in any? Does it change anything? Um, but more specifically, Chris asks, do you think it changes his confidence? No knock on Chris, but if anybody watches Kyle Busch and anything, <laughs> it affects his uh, his ego, uh, they're not paying attention. <laughs> There's no lack of confidence there. <laughs> no lack of well, confidence like, at all. Well, like, well, like you said, right now, that's not the factor. And so, of course, there's not going to be a, a lack of confidence. Um, I don't I don't think it, it – to me, there's three things that – and changing his confidence is not one of them. Like I told the group, one, if you find, we finally get to a point, because there was a long point that NASCAR had no talent coming out. I, I think from like 2006 or seven into 2011, the rookie of the year wasn't even racing no more. Like there just wasn't anything out there. Um, you know, NASCAR was surviving on Dale Sr. and then surviving on um, Jeff Gordon and then Jimmy Johnson. There just wasn't, it wasn't a, there wasn't a talent filled field. Like, now there is a lot of talent. Now, you know, you any one of these drivers really could win a race. And in the Xfinity Series, we got a much – we don't need the cup guys as much. And that's one of the things – one of the reasons why I wish they would eliminate the cup cup guys other than the point system makes no sense to have the cup guys in it. But we, we have a, a much talent, more talented field. And same with the truck series. Um, because of how the Arcus series is getting more national TV and the K and N series and how we have the divide, uh, 
Drive for Diversity program and the next program and all these other things that have given more drivers and more nationalities and females an opportunity. And so we're getting an opportunity to see more talent and NASCAR is getting an opportunity to draft, basically draft or, or, or pull in more talent. And these teams are able to see this talent that we weren't seeing at all these local tracks because we didn't have the social media. We didn't have these programs and everything else. Just things have changed. Um, so to, to, to know that we, when we get to a point that these drivers have come through the truck series and Xfinity series um, and, and are beating Kyle Busch on a regular basis, if we ever get to that point on a regular basis point, you know, here and there it happens, but on a regular basis, I, if I'm Kyle Busch, I'm thinking, okay, I know that I helped carry this sport for a while because earlier in his career, especially towards the end of the Hendrick, moving on, he he was kind of one of the drivers that was help you know his his persona his attitude him winning races you know it was part of the attraction and and the you know the the fights and him and Kevin Harvick and everything else you know they draw people regardless if you liked him or not he helped kind of carry this sport and help put you know butts in the seats because people like the bad boy as well um, to know that this sport has is going to survive that there's all this talent that if when my day is done, I don't have to worry about this sport dying because there's no talent. We've gotten past that. One, that that part, you know, is something I, I think Kyle Bush would look at, not the confidence part. Um, two, to know that, um, to, to know that he helped develop these drivers. You know, with Kyle Busch Motorsports and the Truck Series and, and what he's helped field in the Xfinity Series, to know that he helped give back, that he funds these teams, and, and these are his teams. He is basically reinvesting into the sport to help develop drivers, to help develop tomorrow's cup guys. I don't think that hurts his confidence if all of a sudden these drivers are beating him. That was part of the question, even the guys that's in his equipment. To me, you kind of become a proud papa. You like you you help, you know you help reinvest into the sports. You help develop these drivers. Like you, he, he at some sense to me, he's got to feel like either a proud papa or a, a proud big brother to a lot of these drivers, because without Kyle Busch Motorsports and what he has reinvested into these sports, Noah Gregston's or Christopher Bell's or any of the other drivers that he is putting into these cars may or may not get these opportunities anywhere else. Um, and, and so, you know, to me, you've got to, um, that, that to me, he, he's got to be proud, not if these guys beat him, it, it affects his confidence. And, and the third thing to me, and I think this is what I look at even most, is Kyle Busch uses the, the Friday night race and the Saturday night race just like the rest of the Cup guys. He uses it an opportunity to help him get ready for the cup race on Sunday, where it helps him win, get cup wins, and get a cup championship. Yes, the, 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 the winning the truck series race and, and winning the Xfinity series race are cherry on the tops, and he wants to win, and, you know, it helps build his ego. But ultimately, this is preparing him for Sunday's race. That's what really matters. You know, that, that's one of the, the kicks that people put on Kyle Busch. You've got all these wins, but it's truck series wins and infinity series wins. 
you don't think there's a part of him, he might not ever let it show, it's just his ego, but you don't think there's a part of him that it don't, like, bother him a little bit, that people look at him as not such a big deal because you only have this many cup wins. And so you're, to us, your win total is not that impressive because that 100-some-odd wins come in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series and only this many wins come in the Cups, you know, the Cup Series. Um, I, part of that's got to bother him. And so, you know, where it's nice to get those wins and get that money and get those sponsors and everything else for the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series, ultimately he's just trying to prepare himself to get him ready for the Cup Series race in order to help win and win another Cup uh, a Cup championship. And that's just the cherry on the top. If the other drivers beat him, they beat him. I, he don't want to lose. He has an attitude. But ultimately, all he's doing is getting information for the race that really matters um, and for the championship that really matters. The rest of it is just icing on the cake if it happens. If not, he's getting himself ready for Sunday. Uh, I, I don't think at any point it should ever affect his confidence especially for those three reasons right there. It, it should ne- he should never even bat an eye. It should never at all ever matter. Um, and, and that's just my my thought on it. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see anything affecting the company. Uh, there's one thing that Kyle Busch has a lot of. It's confidence. If he didn't have confidence in himself, he couldn't do what he's doing. And that goes for him and Harvick and even now, uh, Miss Lee, I, mean, I didn't see, I didn't see this so now, but Miss Lee just said when we were talking about Christopher Bell saying what he said in uh, Victory Lane, that uh, she said Christopher Bell did sound like Kyle Busch. Um, I had missed that earlier. I put the phone uh, phone down so I didn't hear it ding, but uh, um, uh, I agree and I disagree. Like it did sound Kyle Bushish, but. To me, Kyle Busch intentionally says what he says and does what he does. Um, like I said, it didn't sound good. Like, it it sounds bad. Um, well, to me, it sounds bad. I, I think most people, and this is why I don't think it's been a big deal or been anything that's even been discussed, because I'm, I'm kind of putting, you know, I'm taking out the in-between, the wreck, and when he got to that part. I mean, there wasn't many things said before that in his interview, but it wasn't the very first thing he said. Um, but it was towards the towards the beginning of it. Um, I'm just putting those two pieces together, and so there, you know there is there is a race and a couple words said in between. Um, and, you know, was it just wham bam? Um, and so I might be you know digging in. You know, and, and like I said, I don't think it was intentional, and that's why I also don't think it's a big deal. I just 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 the way to me, it just like yeah, that's not the that's not the way you should have said it. Like it just sounds bad to me. Uh, but I don't. I don't yeah. think it, it, it was Kyle Busch would have said, you know what I I, I did. I I moved him out of the way. Like they, you know Kyle Busch, you know, and, and it would have been intentional. And that's Kyle Busch, and that's why it also blows my mind that so many people don't like Kyle Busch. Cause to me, that's the closest thing to senior. One of the most loved drivers of all time, and to me, Kyle Busch is like the the closest thing you're ever going to get to seeing senior. And you guys can't stand him, um, but they, 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 those same people love Junior, and he was nowhere close to it, and kind of the exact opposite. Um, and so it, I don't know if it just pisses fans off that Junior was never never had 
the balls between his legs to be like his dad and Kyle Busch has, um, or what what the case is. But it, I, I chuckle every time that I, I sit there and think about the fact that Junior was so loved and, and Kyle Busch was so hated and Bush is just like senior and Junior is not. Like it, It's humorous to me. You know, it just wants to show you, TJ, and any sport fans have their likes and their dislikes when it comes to players or drivers. Um, You know, what what makes the difference? What makes the fans love Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, or you know, or LeBron James? And same thing in racing, like you're talking about the differences with Kyle Busch and and uh, Junior. So, uh, individual fans have their individual likes and dislikes, that's all. And Junior just happens to garner the majority of the people um, who did or still, probably still does. Um, you know, I'm sure there are, watch, there are fans that watch NBC, and I'm sure that's why they're NBC hired. I'm sure there are fans that probably maybe wouldn't watch uh, a race all the way through, but are watching because Junior's in the booth. Uh, you know, I, I have a feeling like you and I watch a race in NASCAR regardless, whether it's on TV. Some of these fans, I have a feeling, wouldn't be watching the race if, if Junior wasn't in the booth. In the booth. Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, it is. <laughs> um, was there a truck series race, Mike? I can't even remember at this point. Yeah, Kyle Busch. That's what I'm saying. Kyle, Kyle Busch. Busch won Friday, and Kyle Busch uh, won uh, Sunday. That's what, that's why I said that's the right. only reason. That's right. Who, who, who won? Kyle Busch. Who won? Yeah, I forgot, but yeah. And I don't know, totally. I heard that, but I didn't back. click in my head. I, um, Arca Series, though, um, I know they ran this weekend as well. Who ended up winning the Arca Series race? Do you remember? Um, oh man, it, it escaped me. I think I think uh, uh, who's the kid we had on? Um, I, I did they run a Pocono? I know, yeah, I know it's the kid we had on, too. Um, all, right, all right, well, we got Izzo in the studio while you guys are talking. I'll lift it up and find out uh, who won last weekend. Okay. Um, but Izzo's in the studio. I'm going to take an opportunity to step out. Mike's going to take over, and uh, the guys are going to get you guys caught up on the latest in the uh, NHL. So without any further delay, welcome to the studio, Mike. Or, I'm sorry, Izzo and Mike, yours. Hmm. yours. Thank you, CJ. Hey, Izzo, how you doing? Hey, we're doing good. Uh, just kind of hanging out. Uh, birthdays in less than four hours, so we're just kind of chilling out and uh, kind of taking up some uh, Pittsburgh Pirate news. It seems that they've actually made some trades where they actually tried to better themselves. I think my heart skipped a beat uh, when I read that. Um, so I'm still kind of struggling over that, guys. Um, you know, they, they've been tearing it up lately, and uh, – you know, I've been kind of happy to see the old buckos uh, try and do something, but you know that's for another time, another place. But we're here to talk some hockey, so without any further ado, Mike, we can jump right into it. 
There you go. And let's start with, we, we don't, we, we started too much with guests, but let's start with a bizarre story that kind of made me chuckle. Uh, a guy decided, and with the same name as the owner, by the way, that's what it was. Uh, he decided to impersonate the Bruins owner to get uh, his house repaired, uh, house repairs of some sort, if I remember correctly. And he was basically jailed when they found out because they mailed his bill to uh, the owner of the Boston Bruins. I, I found that rather humorous. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of hard to believe that you can't, you know, uh, distinguish 40 years between two people, especially for an <laughs> owner that's 70 years old and a guy that's 30 years old. But um, this guy apparently is a big Bruins fan, and, you know, this is not the first time, I guess, he's tried to do something like this where he uh, uh, tried to use uh, his um, – uh, his name and fortune to try and get out of a traffic ticket uh, uh, before too. So, you know, this is pretty interesting. You know, I, I guess a tree fell on his house, um, and he tried to use, uh, you know, use his name uh, to uh, to to try and work the system. So this was, you know, pretty interesting to say the least. Um, you know, I, I I was kind of thrown back by this too because I I haven't heard of it. I I've never heard of this story. So you know, I kind of had a chuckle about it too, Mike. So you you definitely weren't the only one. Yeah, definitely, especially the age difference. But okay, moving on. Um, interesting. A retirement this week. Jerome McGinley, the uh, former um, Calgary Flame, and I also noted that he played for your Penguins for a while. Uh, a couple of teams. I was surprised. I know he went to the Avalanche. I didn't realize he was with so many other teams, though, uh, because he was, so, he was so identified with Calgary. Yeah, you know, Jerome McGinley, who is uh, who is that face of that franchise up in Calgary for so long, you know, is their all-time leader in goals, um, you know, and games played. You know, he's one of 20 players in the NHL to score over 600 goals uh, and is one of 34 players to record over 1,300 points in his career. Um, you know, he did lead the, uh, the the Flames to the Stanley Cup final against uh, uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning back in the day. I think that was in 2004, 2003-2004, um, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> and uh, he should have had a Stanley Cup that year. They, the Flames ended up scoring a goal. Uh, against Habe Bolin where the, the, the goal was not reviewed and uh, Habe Bolin made a lake pad uh, save uh, where if you looked at the, at the replay, um, the puck was completely over the line and it, it, it kind of gypped uh, Calgary out of, a, uh, out, of a, out of a Stanley Cup victory. So, you know, he was part of some really good teams up there uh, in Calgary. You know, he, um, like I said, he was the face of the franchise you know he's played over 1500 games in his career um you know he did uh he did play in Pittsburgh he also played for Boston and Colorado and LA uh trying to chase that elusive Stanley Cup you know but if you remember he was drafted 11th overall in 1995 by the Stars uh and the Stars um you know ended up trading him before he made his debut um to uh, uh you know uh, to Calgary so you know, it, it's kind of sad to see uh, a guy who was, you know, so uh, so prominent and so graceful, 
uh, in the game uh, to not win a Stanley Cup, you know. So, um, you know, he is a two-time gold medal winner in the Olympics. Uh, so he's also uh, a champion in the uh, 1996 World Junior Tournament and the 1997 World Championships um, and the 2004 World Cup of Hockey. So, you know, he's been a part of some pretty, pretty uh, illustrious teams. So, you know, he goes down uh, as one of the all-time greats. I'm pretty sure he is going to be, you know, a Hall of Famer. You know, it is kind of sad to see him go um, without a Stanley Cup uh, in the long run because he sure sure as hell, you know, deserved uh, a Stanley Cup. You know, he was one of the one of the more popular uh, players in the league there for a while, you know, won the Art Ross Trophy a couple times uh, in the early 2000s with uh, Calgary uh, and, and, you know, uh, has been the Rocket Richard winner too as well. So um, it's it's pretty sad to see a guy like that go, you know, especially at this point in time uh, when, you know, he really wanted the Stanley Cup. And, it, and it's really kind of sad, but, you know, uh, a career of, you know, all, 20 plus years um, is not something to to be sad upon or frown upon. So um, uh, <clears throat> I'm certainly going to miss him. Uh, I'm certainly going to miss him in the old video games. Uh, that's for sure. You know, he was always uh, he, he was always definitely a game changer. You know, he was never afraid to uh, to scrap it up and 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 get into the dirty areas of the game and. Um, he's certainly going to be revered in Calgary as one of the greatest Calgary Flames, you know, next to guys like Lanny McDonald and company and Joe Mullen, um, you know, from those late 80 teams. So, you know, I, I like I said, I, I do expect the Calgary Flames to, to retire his number, and I, I do expect him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, Mike. Right. Uh, a couple of things with the Washington Capitals. First of all, I guess Lou couldn't get a hold of you to be a goalie coach, so they went with the uh, the Capitals goalie coach came down to uh, uh, be with uh, uh, Lou and the Islanders, and of course the coach. So they had that connection with the Cap. Uh, Mitch Corn, I believe his name was. Yeah, Great. Mitch Corn is going to be the uh, the goalie director for the Islanders. Um, you know, he was uh, the goalie coach. I think it was in 2014, 2015, when Brayton Holpe won his Vesna Trophy, uh, when he had that just incredible year. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he's he's going to be a, 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 an intricate part to try and, you know, solidify a position that the Islanders have definitely needed help in for, you know, the last couple of years. So, um, you know, uh, I do believe that uh, the, the the goalie coach that they hired—I can't remember his name off the top of my head—he, um, uh, you know, they're they're trying to uh, they're they're trying to bring in some old guard. You know, like they say, Mike, there's there's no school like the old school. So, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen here? You know, you've got you know uh, a, a pretty different team than what you had last year you know, from the back end all the way up to the front end. And, you know, I expect, you know, in the next couple, you know, two to three seasons that the Islanders are going to make a, a big turnaround. So, you know, they've drafted pretty well this past year in the draft. They still have some young talent, even though they've they've lost some prominent players, um, you know, to free agent signings. I still think that um, they're still heading in the right direction. And, you know, um, 
uh, Lynn Morello and Trotz and company are really trying to make it uh, make it big, you know, for the people in Long Island to, to still have faith and um, to still be able to come out the games and, and be impressed with the product that they're going to put out on the ice. So, you know, I, I don't expect a, uh, an immediate turnaround, kind of like what happened in um, Toronto with, with what Lamorello did up there. But uh, in the long run, you know, with over the next couple seasons, it, it could be something special to watch. And the other thing I was interested in, uh, well, just because I I gave it to you and Sue, because you've always talked about the older players and how much they have left, uh, the Capitals re-signed Brooks Opic, and that was a little bit of a surprise since they let him go. Um, but I figure you know a little bit about about that as well. You know, well, Brooksy is, you know, he's getting up there in the, in, you know, in the later 30s. Uh, you know, he doesn't really have too much left in the tank uh, in his career. You know, he's a two-time Stanley Cup uh, champion, you know, recently with the with the Capitals and back in 09 with the Penguins. Um, you know, plays a very physical game, good shot blocker, you know, a good veteran leader uh, in the locker room, um, you know, and has had a pretty, you know, illustrious career. Um, playing defense um, for for these two teams, but you know this was a way for um, for Washington to really win. You know they still needed help on that back end, even though they re-signed Carlson uh, and Orloff and, and company. You know and and, and Kempney, um, they still had to fill in that bottom you know sixth role in that back end for that defense. So you know it, it proved to be. Um, something quite amazing last year, and hopefully, you know, he still has another um, year or two left to, to maybe, you know, try and win another cup with Washington. So, you know, he's on a one-year deal for uh, a couple million right now. So, you know, it's not the 5.5 that he was going to make, but, you know, he still has a job, and I, I think he's really going to try and, you know, make this one really count because I don't think he has too many left. So this was an important thing for Washington, especially when there's not too many, you know, shutdown defensive guys on that free agent market right now that are, you know, the the quality that Brooks Orpik is right now, Mike. Right. Another interesting thing that we've discussed is how young the Rangers are getting. And they're actually putting a lot of stock in Henrik uh, Lundqvist. And and you had some question about that early on, like how much more can Lundqvist give them? And uh, apparently they're putting a lot on him because they expect him to be the veteran face of the team. Yeah, you know, and, and if you, if we look at recent years, you know, if you look at what Marty Brodeur went through in, during his last couple of years in New Jersey, it's almost the same you know, picture, you know, uh, it's, um, it's a lot of work, uh, and stress and, uh, and, and, you know, miles on those hips, you know, when you look at guys that, you know, that play that type of style of goaltending, you know, they, uh, the Rangers really tried to play an active defensive game last year, um, and really left Lundqvist out to hang, you know, out to hang out the dry. So, you know, he's getting up there in his, you know, mid to late thirties now. You know, how much does he have left in the tank? You know, he's he's been a part of some pretty good Rangers teams. Uh, he's been nothing but a Ranger his entire career. Um, and you're right, the Rangers are really trying to put a lot of that weight on his shoulders again this year, and who knows how much more he has left in the tank, Mike. You know, 
being a goaltender is not very easy. You know, you, you got to stay healthy. You're, you have to treat your body right, you know, and I think uh, uh, with the way, you know, uh, Lundqvist, you know, approaches his work ethic and his workout, you know, he, he could play a couple, you know, maybe three, four more years. Um, whether those years are going to be with the Rangers, who knows? So, you know, I, I do believe that he can go to a, some a, a couple other teams right now and make them some instant, you know, Stanley Cup, you know, uh, you know, uh, appearances for you know a couple other teams that you know that just need that push over the hill. So, um, you know, the Rangers still have Kreider, they still have Hayes and Zuccarello and Zabinajad and you know a, a good company and VC. You know, there's a good company of young. Uh, talented guys that are still in the Rangers, um, uh, in the Rangers roster right now. So it, it, it's all going to depend on you know how they play this year and wh- how uh, uh, what kind of uh, you know uh, defensive plan that the Rangers are going to take this year. You know, are they going to play a more conservative defensive game to to really help Lundqvist out? You know, when when he can see the shot, he can he can stop it. You know, and he's proven that. Um, you know, time and time again. So this is going to be a big uh, aspect for the Rangers to really try and look um, at different ways of attacking uh, the game plan uh, to really help Lundqvist out, who, like I said, is getting up there in years. So um, who knows what's going to happen? You know, they they could make another uh, couple of trades to 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 bolster their defense or, you know, to try and help that offense out. But, you know, if they don't score goals, it's going to be pretty hard for Lundqvist to win games for the Rangers uh, night in and night out, Mike. Right, right. Uh, interesting related two things. Uh, the uh, I, I knew there was women that played. Obviously, there were women hockey players on the Olympic level. and But I wasn't aware there were two professional teams, and they're looking to merge. Uh, there's a movement to merge the two women teams, and then also, I saw a little um, blurb, I guess, from Kendall Coyne, who had um, helped the uh, U.S. women to the gold medal. So uh, I don't know if she's involved in one or both of those teams but or that movement, but uh, those two things are related. You know, and this is something that's really kind of, you know, upset me. Um, you know, 1998 was when the uh, Olympics really sponsored, started sponsoring women's ice hockey um, as a recognized sport. Um, you know, there have been a lot of great female hockey players that have come, um, you know, since that 98 year. Uh, and I've been really upset, you know, because I do believe that they could put on a good product. You know, the CWHL. Um, never really paid its players at all. You know, these girls had to pay for their own equipment, pay for, you know, their own practice time and, and whatnot. And it's kind of sad, you know. And now with uh, with Danny Ryland, you know, doing the NWHL uh, with the four teams that are in the States, um, and this could be something huge. You know, the CWHL has seven teams spread across North America and the United States, Canada, and China. Uh, and like I said, the NWHL has the four teams that are, you know, based out in the Northeast um, right now. You know, and if you combine those, you know, you can have a 12-team league. Um, you know, Gary, Commissioner Gary Bettman um, has refrained from getting involved uh, with something like this. 
Um, you know, he has, you know, said publicly that, you know, if there was no professional women's leagues at all, that he would try to uh, create a league that would, you know, kind of umbrella what the NHL does, um, you know, with, uh, with what they're doing, so it's kind of it's kind of really upsetting because um, you know every time you watch the Olympics, you know, and you watch women's hockey, they're, they're putting on a great product. You know, there's a lot of skilled, uh, talented women that you know, hell, that some of them I think can play in the NHL too. You know, uh, yeah. you know they might be able to, uh, you know, might be able to hang with some of the big dogs. So you know, mm-hmm. for them to take this long to really try and, you know, collaborate and get their minds together and, you know, try and create a product that is long overdue is just really, really sad to me. So, you know, I think a lot of years were wasted uh, and a lot of careers, you know, went unnoticed um, except for when the Olympics came around, Mike. Right. Um, Also, interesting um, I'm going to keep an eye on this because I grabbed it off of the uh, NBCSports.com site, and I know uh, you mentioned many times, and I know that NBCSN uh, carries hockey games. Um, but they they did a uh, uh, I sent it to you the uh, story where they um, uh, I guess praised each division. And they started with the Metro division in terms of what teams improve themselves over, I guess, after free agency or during free agency. I guess they're still going on to to an extent. Uh, But they did a whole rundown on the Metro division teams. Yeah, you know, the Metro division, you know, for the longest time, the the Central division in the Western Conference was the the premier division, you know, with teams like Chicago, Nashville, uh, and and company, you know, Minnesota and company. Um, And then in recent years, you know, the the emergence of the Metro division um, with teams like Pittsburgh and Columbus and the Rangers and the Capitals now, you know, they've got to be the, the cream of the crop right now. So um, I, I do believe that, you know, Pittsburgh's a little bit different uh, right now with, you know, the departures of Connor Sheary, Tom Kunakel, and, you know, a few other guys. Um, and then when you look at Washington, who hasn't really lost too many pieces um, except for their coaching staff, you know, which is probably the biggest change uh, of all, you know. And if you look at the Rangers, the Rangers coaching staff, you know, after the fire sale at the trade deadline last year um, was probably the biggest story going on. So, you know, the Metro Division, in my opinion, is still probably the top division in the NHL. Um, you know, whether it's the Capitals or the Penguins, um, you know, or even the Flyers, you know, who who have been, uh, you know, you know, one of the teams that have been uh, really praised uh, in recent years of what they've been able to do, um, despite their, you know, uh, setbacks. Um, but you know. That that Metro division is still going to be tough. Um, you know, it, it's it's more likely that you know another Stanley Cup champion could come out of that Metro division, um, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be something to watch. So, a lot of new places and some new faces. You know, a lot of new bench bosses um, behind the bench uh, for a couple teams. 
you know, uh, you know, you got James James Van Riemsdyk who started in Philly, then went to Toronto. Now he's coming back to Philly. Um, you know, who knows uh, how this uh, this Metro Division is going to unfold? Really, you know, some teams. You know, if we looked at the uh, the the Blackhawks, you know, in recent years, you know, where they, you know, did those uh, those that that that, that cup run and uh, those cup runs, you know, they they end up getting tired and then they you know take a year off and then they come back and win another one. So, who knows? Um, that could be what we see, you know, this year again in the Metro Division. So, you know, Pittsburgh's going to be tough. You know the, uh, the the Capitals are obviously going to be tough. You know, being the the defending Stanley Cup champions, so um, it, it, it's going to be uh, another fun season. You know, we're just over two months away from you know preseason, and you know I'm just kind of chomping at the bit, you know, for for anything right now, Mike. So, um, like you said, the Metro Division is probably the the top division in the NHL right now, and it, it probably will be for the next couple years. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch for it, and we can do it each week if they come out with them, the different divisions. It seems like they're going to do something on that order, so I'll I'll keep my eye on that for, for, for you know, Tuesday nights. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, one other thing I have, and then actually another question I have, because I haven't seen anything on it, and I was wondering if you uh, got anything. But first, the first thing that's on, the last thing that's on the list, is the Ducks signing Montour, and I, I don't know enough about that kid. He's probably played, uh, you know, he's probably a veteran for all I know, but I don't keep up with the Ducks all that much, other than, you know, Ryan Getzlaff and, and the guys that are well-known. But uh, uh, they ended up signing Montour. Yeah, this is kind of them trying to solidify some middle six or, you know, middle of the roster roles right now. Um, the Ducks, who haven't really been um, too active in the free agent market, you know, they, they felt like they've had a decent team. Um, but who knows? Um, who knows what the Ducks are thinking right now? You know, they, they've done some questionable things in the past. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if this is um, something that's going to help them get over the edge. You know, I, I think. Uh, John Gibson, who is the Ducks goaltender, um, who is actually, you know, from my, you know, 20 minutes down the, down the road from my hometown in, in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is the kind of, um, the kind of, uh, the kind of, you know, move that they need to make. You know, he is a pretty good defenseman. You know, they they got him on a two-year contract, you know, and he's still pretty young. Uh, at 24, you know, he's got just over 100 games under his belt uh, in the NHL. So, um, you know, who knows if this is going to be what they need. But, you know, with guys like Corey Perry and, and Getzlaff getting up there in age, um, you know, th- this could be, you know, the start of them trying to move to a, uh, you know, to a younger roster. So, you know, the, the Ducks are going to be, kind of active uh, in the next maybe couple of years. You know, they, they got their new jerseys coming out. They're going to be uh, retiring Korea Niedermeyer's jerseys um, this season. And, you know, and uh, they've also added another defenseman with Andre Schuster 
um, you know, last month too, who's also pretty young at 27. So um, I do believe that defense is one of the things that they need to um, – that they need to address, and they have addressed it. But I think that goaltending um, is something that they need to address even more, um, especially if Gibson doesn't uh, come out of the gate on fire, Mike. Yeah, one last thing is, oh, because I didn't see it on any on any story, and that's why it's not on the list. I was just wondering if you heard anything about that from Humboldt, who, uh, any thing about his progress that went down to uh, – Philly to do his rehab. Um, no, I have not seen anything. Uh, I have not seen anything about that. You know, I've been paying attention to that. Um, I do know that there's going to be a lot of things uh, going on with this team, uh, especially with the survivors uh, over you know this coming season. So whether it's um, these guys coming to games or you know. Um, them being honored in some sort of way. Um, there hasn't really been uh, too much uh, really kind of uh, uh, made public right now. You know, we're kind of in the dog days uh, of summer right now. And, um, you know, I, I do believe that they're focusing, uh, you know, all the uh, all the attention for the next season that's coming up. So, you know, I am still trying to pay attention um, uh, to that right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, everything is going well with all these kids um, that survived that horrible tragedy. Um, I do know one of the one of the guys who started playing sled hockey um, and is looking to try and maybe try out for the uh, the Special Olympics team um, as a sled hockey player, which I, I think is going to be pretty cool if he can actually make the team. Um, so that's one of the big stories that I'm going to be paying attention to um, as the uh, as the year rolls on, Mike. Right, right, definitely. We'll be talking about that as well. Okay, so um, I want to thank you for coming on, as always, and uh, we'll definitely talk to you next week. Hey, it's always a blast talking to you guys, and we'll we'll catch you uh, next Tuesday night. Okay, Izzo, take care. Uh, CJ, you there? CJ? Oh, boy. I'm coming, I'm coming. There we go. Wouldn't let me unmute myself. Um, winner of the race was Zane Smith. Zane Smith, which we've had on the show. Yeah, Second think. was Shell yeah. Creed, which we've had on the show. And third place was Chase, Chase Purdy. Yeah, Chase Purdy, who we lost on the show. I don't know why I couldn't think of Smith. That's like the simplest name, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We've had uh, yeah. the top three on the show, though, so yeah. Um, go ahead and let them know, Mike, what you got going on Friday, where you can be found liked and all the whatnots. Okay. On Friday, we have a definite from Ed Cheslack. He is a legend driver, and another reason I'm going to have him on. Uh, we've had, as CJ pointed out last week, we had spotters on another. Uh, tracks and places uh, on, on this show, but I don't. I believe Ed will be the first spotter on my show and uh, local tracks wise. And the interesting thing with him is he's a spotter for a figure eight uh, team. So um, that I'm interested in touching base with him about 
the differences of how you have to spot versus an oval track uh, versus a uh, um, figure eight course. So the first edge on Friday for sure, and then a couple of my invitees are going to be uh, Chris Turbush, who won uh, Saturday night at the uh, the uh, late model event that went along with the uh, Evan Baldwin and John Bethlehem part event. And then um, in, in the coming weeks, I couldn't do it this week, the uh, modified guys will be busy again because the whatever modified tour, not only would they not be able to talk to us on a Saturday night, but they're running at Stafford this week, CJ. So they, they will really be busy, and we wouldn't be able to get them anyway. So I'm trying to get Chris Turbush and, and uh, Ed, as I said, and then also one of my backups will be uh, John Fortin, who won the uh, Evans Baldwin and Jazanbeck race uh, on Saturday night, uh, 77 laps. So it should be an interesting uh, group if uh, even one of my backups come, you know, able to make that second hour. Uh, we'll have a we'll have a good show on Friday night. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, you can find me on my personal Facebook page, the 110 Nation pages, uh, the Hot Laps with Stats pages, um, the, the website, and my Twitter account, which is at Stats108. I want to make sure that I uh, <clears throat> thank Fit for Life, uh, Activation, uh, yeah, 95 Sports Network, or just <laughs> true blank. Um, and uh, Mile High Radio um, for everything that they do and help make all this possible from the logos to um, rebroadcasting to uh, everything that these guys do and sharing our stuff. So I want to make sure I thank them. You can uh, follow us on Twitter, at 110 Nation. You can like us on on Facebook, 110 Nation Sports. You can check out our site www.the110nationsports.com for all the latest going on here at the 110 Nation. Um, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. I, I, I already know the question that I'm going to start off tomorrow night's show with, Mike, for you. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to put it out there because I, 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 want, I want to get a raw answer because kind of, I have kind of mixed feelings on how I would feel as a driver if this happened. So, uh, I want to get a, a, a raw answer, and then, of course, I'll, I'll have an answer that I have thought out. So um, the listeners will get kind of two different um, two different answers or at least two different reactions. Um, so that two different aspects of it, um, no one, you know, being surprised with it and someone, you know, had to all night to think about it. But tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, um, Mike and myself are right back here in the studio. Make sure you guys uh, – Tune in and check it out. Till next time. Thanks for listening to the 110 Nation Sports Show with Mr. CJ Sports. You are a part of the 110 Nation, so be sure to visit the 110nation.com for everything related to the show. You can follow CJ on Twitter at 110nation. And on Facebook at 110 Nation Sports. 
Until next time. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.